There are great benefits of knowing that you've received grace and salvation that we may not talk about very often. Uh, For example, you can literally get more done if you recognize that you've been saved by grace. And the reason that's true is not just because Paul said it was true of him, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, that he labored more abundantly than they all because the grace that had been shown shown him. But it's pragmatically correct. Uh, A good example of that is when they were building the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. And you know, it's way up in the air. So when they were uh, over the bay and while they were building it, a uh, few men had fallen to their deaths. And it became a problem. And, and because it was so high, if you fell, you died. And so they began to, the men began to be so careful that it slowed construction way, way down because they were afraid of dying. And so the engineers didn't really know what to do about it because they kept fur- falling further and further behind. And that's money, right? That's a lot of money on a construction thing like that. So the engineers came up with this idea of putting this gigantic net from one end to the other underneath the bridge. And it was going to cost a tremendous amount of money. But they decided to do it anyway, and they did. And then all of a sudden, construction sped up. There were hardly any more delays. Two men fell into the net and were saved. No one else perished that I know of from falling. And so it speeded everything up. And so what I'm suggesting is when you know there's a net, a safety net like grace, it makes you a little more brave, makes you a little more willing to do more than you might have done before. And at least that's what Paul claimed. And also not only uh, do you get more done, but you know that you're going to have enough to do whatever it is you need to do. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, the argument is made that Uh, all grace will abound towards you so that you have all sufficiency in all things. And um, that's what grace will do for you. You'll have all you need to do whatever it is that God calls you to do. And a good example of that was a guy named uh, Rowland Hill. He was a very popular English preacher from many years ago. And he was given uh, a large sum of money to give to a very poor preacher, not poor because he couldn't preach, but poor because he didn't have any money. And so uh, he thought about how much money is given, and he thought, well, he's never had any money. If I give that to him all at once, you know, if you don't know how to handle your money, it'll just be gone, it won't benefit him. So he determined that what he would do is he would anonymously send him uh, an amount of money and uh, a portion of it, And then he would write a note in it. And the note said, more to follow. And that's what he did. He'd send it anonymously, this amount of money, and then said more to follow. And then regular intervals, uh, another amount, same amount of money, more to follow. Same amount of money, more to follow. Now, the young man didn't know uh, who that was from, but he always got that cheerful message, more to follow. And so I think you need to hang your hat on that. That's what grace is. More to follow. It's not that he's shown you grace up into this moment and you're saved tonight. 
But even when you butcher up things and you do the wrong thing and you mess your life up, more to follow. God's grace will be sufficient. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always been and and I'm still struggling with being a bit of a Pharisee. Uh, That means I I struggle with this idea of grace. It's been a real struggle for me. Uh, It's still somewhat of a struggle. I'm still dealing with it, believe it or not. Uh, Robert Farah Captain, uh, or Capon, uh, was Episcopal priest, and he wrote a book between noon and three, and he talked a little bit about this struggle that I have. Maybe you don't have it. Maybe you don't struggle with being a bit of a Pharisee or a legalist, but I do. And he broached a subject in a way that speaks to me. So let me just read this to you for a moment because I think it's something that if you struggle with grace, that it may be something that will answer your questions. He wrote this. You're worried about permissiveness, about the way the preaching of grace seems to say it's okay to do all kinds of terrible things as long as you just walk in afterward and take the free gift of God's forgiveness. While you and I may be worried about seeming to give permission, Jesus apparently wasn't. He wasn't afraid of giving the prodigal son a kiss instead of a lecture, a party instead of a probation. And he proved that by bringing in the elder brother at the end of the story and having him raise pretty much the same objections you and I do. He's angry about the party. He complains that his father is lowering standards and ignoring virtue, that music, dancing, and a fatted calf are, in effect, just so many permissions to break the law. And to that, Jesus has the father say only one thing. Cut it out. We're not playing good boys and bad boys anymore. Your brother was dead and he's alive again. The name of the game from now on is resurrection, not bookkeeping. So I think that speaks to me. Uh, Maybe it doesn't speak to you, but I think it is a struggle that I have in this whole idea of believing that I'm saved by grace. Uh, It's as if I want to believe. I know this sounds crazy. I'm just telling you, being really honest. It's as if I want to believe I can lose my salvation easily. It's almost like that's what I want to believe. And maybe you're not there, but I'm just telling you, because I struggle with this concept of grace to some degree. It feels almost like I want to believe I could just lose it so easily. But is that really true? Let me give you some examples. I'm an American by birth. Any of y'all? Okay, so I can't lose that. Now, I can choose to give it up, but it would be hard for me as it is by birth. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, let me put it on a different level. Uh, I'm my father's baby boy. Uh, I cannot lose that. Uh, I could choose to turn my back on it. But it would be hard for me as it is by birth. I don't think you're getting it yet. Let me get, make it where you get it. I'm an Alabama fan by birth. <laughs> I could choose to give it up, but it would be hard for me. 
I think LSU people could do it easier than I could. But at any rate, it's by birth. And as a result, it would be hard for me. Because I don't recall a time when I wasn't that. Do you know the feeling? That's the kind of thing. It, is grace easily thwarted? Uh, do we fall away by the slightest offense? Because sometimes I think that's where my head is. By the slightest thing, I can go to hell. As if God's around the corner looking for me to trip up. So I gotcha. John 10, 27 through 29. I'll, I'll just read 28 and 29. It says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Or Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Matthew 24 and verse 24, an interesting way of saying this that there would be a deception to deceive. And then it says these two words, if possible, even the elect. So that's, I'm not suggesting that that means it's impossible. I'm suggesting that it sounds like it's not easy. And that seems to be the tone of it. Uh, But don't start thinking that it can't happen. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. So you can do it. But maybe if you believe in grace, you shouldn't believe in it so easily done. Do you understand where I'm going with that? So, yes, you should believe and know that you have free will and you could quit Jesus and you could walk away. But it would be hard, wouldn't it? Think on it. Uh, Tonight, I want us to look at three reasons to trust grace and salvation. That's my lesson. Let's trust grace and salvation. Um, oh, those are the other, I should have had that up a minute ago. Here we go. Number one. Nope. That's also scriptures. Man, I just passed over everything. Here they are. That's it. Uh, grace and salvation allows us to live in hope. And we just want to read. So if you've got your Bibles open, maybe you can just read because I want to pick some stuff out. You might want to do a little underlining if you underline your Bible. I quit doing that a few years ago because I didn't want to just pick up my Bible and find things because I'd marked it. I wanted to challenge myself to find it because I knew where it was. And uh, plus the fact you know, I felt it was maybe a problem with me. I, I, I'll talk about that problem I got another day. First uh, Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 12. P- Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Uh, drop down to verse 3. Blessed be, since we read it earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to read all of this. Let me, let me keep reading just a little bit. That the genuineness of your faith, verse 7, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you're going through these tests. It's not to trip you up. It's to so that you'll receive a greater reward. Verse 8. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That doesn't sound like someone's scared you're going to go to hell, does it? Uh, verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's saying that you're receiving that now. The end of your faith, you've already got it. Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you? You got to remember the prophets were under a legalistic system and they didn't see this grace. And they didn't understand it. Kind of like me. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desired to look into. They got a hint of it and they wanted to see what this great thing was that you and I know this hope of salvation. And remember, hope in the Bible doesn't mean, oh, I hope so, I hope so. It, it is a feeling of assurance and cheerful assurance. And so uh, there's a grace and salvation allows us to live in hope. And you need to have that assurance, that joyful assurance. At least that's what he's suggesting here. You say, well, I can quibble with some of the things you just read. Well, then you're going to have to talk to Peter, not me, okay, or the Holy Spirit, because I'm just reading what it says. We can always quibble when we have pharisaical backgrounds. And we always look for the negative if you're pharisaical. But if you're just a believer, you try to just read it as it says it. Amen? Right? Okay. Uh, Let's continue and look at the second lesson, which is grace and salvation allows us to live in holiness. And that may be surprising that grace would do that, but it does. Beginning of verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, and fix your mind, get serious about it, get ready to run. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace. Did you hear that? So you're supposed to totally trust the grace. Rest fully, put your full weight down on this, on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus comes back, you're supposed to be excited, looking forward to it, not going, oh, he's here. You see, if, you, if you're like me and you're pharisaical, you're going, oh, I hope I'll be okay. Okay? But if you read this carefully, he's suggesting putting your whole weight on it that grace will cover me and be excited about the revelation. That's a different attitude, isn't it? Uh, Start in verse 14. 
as obedient children. So we're trying, obedient children. By the way, I've had three kids. They were pretty obedient and every last one of them disobeyed me. And every last one of them made me mad. And every last one of them got aggravated at me. And they were always wrong. But as, <laughs> as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts. So don't just go back the way it was. As in your ignorance. You were ignorant then. And you didn't know. And you didn't know how much God loved you. Uh, you were ignorant. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16 is a really great passage from the Old Testament. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Here's the way I get it. Be holy because you are holy. What I mean by that, since God is holy, he has made you holy. So be holy because God made you holy. So that means that God has forgiven you. You are holy. So be holy. So God is holy. You be holy. You are holy. Therefore, be holy. So literally, understanding the grace of God that's been extended to us should motivate us, as it does, to be even more holy. Verse 17. And if you call on the Father who, without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So don't, don't go around now and suddenly get disrespectful and arrogant. That's not what I'm suggesting and not what he's suggesting at all. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. In other words, nothing here did it. We did not do this like silver or gold. You didn't buy your way out from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers. No, no matter what our fathers or in their case, the law would have presented the law could not make anyone holy before God. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he was the Passover lamb that made us right so that the death angel would pass us. Verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. I mean, this isn't something that God just kind of threw in here at the last minute. He had always planned to save you by name because he knows everything. He knew your name in the eons before there was anything. Uh, and so foreordained before the foundation of the world, uh, but was manifest in these last times for you. It was all for you. Verse 21, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So we totally trust what God's done. And by that, that's how. We are really made holy, but it encourages us to actually be holy. So holiness, grace and salvation allows us to live in holiness. The third teaching here, as we'll walk through chapter, all the way to chapter 2 and verse 10, grace and salvation allows us to live in harmony in the body of Christ. And these are all essential, by the way. And I, I don't want to make any one of these sound more important, but without the hope... There's not going to be any holiness. Without the holiness, there's not going to be any hope. And without the hope and the holiness, there's not going to be any harmony. If we live like the devil and go to church, we're not going to be in harmony with each other. It takes all of these aspects to make the harmony work. 
But let's begin in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now, how did that happen? You all know. You believed in Jesus. You confessed Jesus. You were uh, uh, willing to give your life to Jesus. All of those commandments of the Lord. And you were baptized into Christ. All of those commandments of the Lord. And because you were obeying the truth that's been delivered to you, uh, that's how your souls were purified. But it isn't that that actually purified you. Obviously, it's, it's Christ. So follow it again. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another. Since you've done all that and you're one of us, love one another fervently with a pure heart. It ought to motivate us, knowing that each one of us are saved. It ought to make you want to love this group of people more than any other. I mean, this is not just some guy on the street that you've had to toot your horn at. This, this is your brother, your sister, right? Continue with me, verse 23. Having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Read that this morning. Verse 24, because all flesh is his grass and all the glory of man is the flower uh, of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. So we, we looked at that this morning. I won't talk about that. Verse 1, the next chapter. Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And this is predominantly what he's talking about, how we deal with one another. Verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Uh, is he trying to say that we're all newborn babes? He's not really saying that. He's saying that that's how we should behave that you may grow thereby. That ought to be our attitude. We ought to look at ourselves like we're babes and we ought to want to grow all the time and want that milk. Verse 3, if indeed you have tested that the Lord is gracious, uh, so tasted, sorry, not tested, tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse 4, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. This is in reference to the Old Testament passage about the stone that was rejected, became the head of the corner. Uh, not the cornerstone, but the head of the corner, literally. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Now, so we are together the house of God. This building is not, praise the Lord, even though we hope to have one out there on Lithium Pine Grass. The building's not the sacred place. You're the sacred place. And God dwells within you. So we're built together as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. That means all of us together are priests, all of us together. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. It's a separate passage than the other one. Verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders, this is the other passage, the stones which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now verse 8 says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's also a quote from the Old Testament. They stumbled being disobedient to the word which they were also appointed. So basically this was all appointed of God that they would stumble at him and therefore kill him and therefore he would be the sacrifice. So that was appointed by God, predestined by the Lord. 
Uh, not just something they made a decision about, but something God made a decision about. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. All right, this is a really important part, these last two verses here. Verses 9 and 10, you are a chosen generation. So when it says generation, it doesn't mean a single individual. It means, in this case, a generation, right? You're a chosen generation. The people that exist right now. The people on the planet right now. And particularly the people on the planet who are children of God. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's a group of people. That's not an individual. A holy nation. That's not one person. That's a group of people. His own special people. That's not one person. That's all of us together. He's talking about the group of us together. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we do in worship. That's what we do when we preach. We do all of that together. That's what this group of people does. Verse 10. Who once were not a people. We once weren't a part of this. We once weren't a people at all. There was no church. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. His whole emphasis is on how we as a group are to be united. That's what grace does. If you don't have grace, you can't get along with people. And you can't be in a group of people like this. Because, honestly, we all have prickly points, right? We all have little points. It's difficult. Okay? If, if everybody's difficult but you, take a look in the mirror. Okay? So, grace and salvation allows us to live in hope. Grace and salvation allows us to live in holiness. And grace and salvation allows us to live in harmony. We show grace to everybody else around us. Now, that's the lesson tonight. That's what Peter's driving home. I don't know about you, but I need to know I have hope. I know prisoners of war, our military, when they're prisoners of war, if it gets to the point that they don't have hope, they often just died. Uh, I need to know I have holiness because, quite honestly, I've done a lot of things wrong. Anybody here with me on that? And I have great guilt about some of it now. And I'm trying to let go of that, believing in the grace of God. Some of you maybe don't have great guilt. Maybe you've been able to do that. But I still struggle with some stuff from my past that every time I think about it, I feel really bad about what I did there. And I need to know that I have harmony uh, with people of like precious faith. Because quite honestly, I think I would just die if I had nobody that loved me. Wouldn't you? I don't know if I'd want to live if I had nobody that loved me. So 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, a helmet uh, is the hope of salvation, he says. The helmet we wear is the hope of salvation. The beginning of this text, uh, we need that. I don't know how many of you know who Max Licato is. You know Max Licato? All right. Uh, I, was a, I worked at Bible and School Supply. I was a clerk and a shipping clerk back in the 80s, okay, when this was going on. Uh, it's claimed this book came out in 86. I disagree with that. It came out earlier than that. I was reading an article about it. said it came out in 86. There ain't no way. It came out earlier than that. This is not the original picture on it. But Max Licato uh, wrote, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. That was actually his second book. I will only know this because he used to sell his books because he sold all his other stuff, you know. That's what a shipping clerk does. But uh, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior is the book that made him famous and is the reason he's worth millions now, really, because so many Christians read it. 
But there's one story from No Wonder They Call Him a Savior that's always stuck in my mind. You've got to remember this, that Max had been a, uh, from a missionary family to Brazil. So he worked in South America, okay? So that's what happened to him earlier. So this is a story from down there. Longing to leave her poor neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove. She dreamed of a better life in the big city. So she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart, knowing what life on the street would be like for her young, attractive daughter. Maria hurried and packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photo booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things, unthinkable things. Knowing this, Maria began her search in bars, in hotels, in nightclubs, in any place with a reputation of streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. At each place, she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror or tacked to a hotel bulletin board or fastened to a corner phone booth. On the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and all the pictures were gone and Maria had to go home. The mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. A few weeks later, Christina was descending a hotel stairway. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dreams had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet back home. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was a compelling invitation, which basically said, Whatever you become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And so she did. Some of the reasons I believe is I need to believe. Some of the reasons I believe is I need grace. For such grace, such grace reaches me. And I love the way the songwriter said, even me. It reaches you, 
And if it reaches you tonight, then you should respond to it. There's a little note that says, no matter what you've done, come home. Come home. Put your hand in the hand of the Savior. Repent of your sins. Confess the name of Christ. Come home if you've wandered away. And we'll help you every way we can if you'll come while we stand and while we sing.